We start a series of messages today called Three Circles. Um, and you might, well, what's that about? Well, uh, First Norfolk, that's us, we exist to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. All right, that's, 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 that's our statement. First Norfolk exists to glorify God by winning and leading all the people within our reach to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. One step in making disciples is sharing the gospel. And sharing the gospel is the responsibility of every missionary follower of Jesus. Every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ has been commissioned by Jesus Christ to share the way to come to Christ with people who do not know Christ. That's your task and it's mine. And one of the greatest ways for us to share the gospel is to be prepared to share the gospel. And that's where three circles comes in. Three circles is simply a way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone in our neighborhood, at our home, with our children or our grandchildren. I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. Granddaughter, her name is Nora. And uh, uh, children, grandchildren, our neighbors, that's our home. We have a responsibility when we gather together. In our gathering, it's a responsibility we have. There are people who come who have yet to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's our responsibility to share with them the gospel. In our communities, in the seven cities of Hampton Roads and around the world, we go on mission to share the gospel. Even when we're meeting needs, we're meeting needs in order to build a bridge to share the gospel because it is the gospel that can rescue someone who is lost and empty and dead in their sin. It is not me. It's not uh, our programming. It's not being in presence here. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has established it so that every person who becomes a follower of Jesus shares how they became a follower of Jesus with others. So over the next several weeks, we're going to go through this, um, this journey of learning how to share the gospel. It's called Three Circles. And we're going to get a little bit more uh, lectury. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 y'all know I can get preachy, right? Y'all know I can get preachy? Uh, Well, I'm going to be less preachy and more teachy. I personally don't think there's a difference between preaching and teaching. I think it's the same thing in Scripture. Some of y'all might disagree. We can have a debate about the Greek later. Uh, But I'm going to try to be more conversational because I want us, I want you to take notes. Uh, we're going to have some, some tools for you to use uh, next week and the week after and the week after uh, because this is essential. This is essential for us to know how to tell others the good news that has rescued us. Okay? All right. So um, uh, today we're talking about the first circle up in the, 
upper left-hand circle. That's the very first circle. It's called God's design. And we're going to look, see, see that? Can y'all see that? Right up there, God's design. Y'all say it with me. What does that circle say? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we're going to dig in here in a second. While, while you're turning there, um, I, 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 uh, I just want you to know my heart is heavy, um, and it's been heavy. Uh, and if you're a guest of ours today, uh, I just I want to explain to you why my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy because a couple of weeks ago, one of my best friends and uh, the pastor of our missions here at First Norfolk, Kurt Breland, went to be with Jesus. And it was sudden, and it's still painful for me. And trying to evaluate um, my emotions, which is not always easy for me to do, just even finding my emotions can be challenging at times. But understanding them is, is a little bit more challenging. And, and I'm, I'm just, uh, somebody asked me in between services, are you okay? And I said, yes. And then I stopped and I said, well, not really. Um, I'm not. I'm, I, I, I feel a weight every time I walk into the doors of the church. And that's just grief. And so I want you to understand that uh, that my heart is heavy. One of the ways I know my heart is heavy, I was telling Edie this the other day, or yesterday, I was, I was uh, laying on the bed and after the University of Tennessee beat LSU so badly, and it was wonderful. Uh, I turned it to Hallmark, and it was the end of a Hallmark movie. And, and again, if you're not, if you haven't been with me for some time, you know I love me some Hallmark. Not because it stirs any emotions in me, but just the opposite. I can watch it and not think. And I really just enjoy Hallmark because it's just that bland television watching. But yesterday there was a program, and I'd seen it. I mean, I knew how it was going to end. I mean, I knew it. I, I'd, I'd literally seen this show. I mean, I know how every Hallmark movie is going to end, but this one in particular, I, I knew what was going to happen. And I was sitting there watching it, and um, it ends the way I knew it was going to, and I began to tear up. I mean, literally begin to cry, and I'm like, okay, you're not okay, right? Um, so uh, my heart is heavy, and it, it really is, and uh, even preparing for this message today, my heart was heavy. I get here early in the morning. On Sunday mornings, my heart was heavy, and uh, so uh, that being said, uh, I know that if my heart is heavy, there are so many of us here as, as family, uh, your heart is heavy too. And, and I, I love the fact that we're a family as a church. We are a family and, and we have opportunities to see each other and we have our life groups where we can connect with one another. But it's really challenging for us as a, as a family to really get together, especially on Sunday mornings. We have different worship gatherings. We have different times. We, we meet in different places. Uh, we, uh, it's just hard to get together. And so um, if there are any staff in the room, be sure and take this information down because for some of you, it'll be the first time you've heard this. On Sunday, October the 23rd, 
after, the, after this worship gathering on October the 23rd, we're going to have a meal together. Um, we're going to eat together. Uh, we're going to uh, laugh together. Uh, we're going to talk. I'm gonna, I, I want you to meet our staff. That, that's another thing. I, I, I've just been burdened that some of you didn't know Kurt. And one of the reasons you didn't know Kurt is because you didn't get to meet him and and so I feel burdened. I want you to know what our staff are doing. So October 23rd, after the last morning worship gathering, we're going to have a meal together. We're going to have a, a family time together. And so I want to invite you to come. I want to encourage you to come. I want to plead with you to come. Uh, put it on your calendar, and let's be together on October 23rd, uh, breaking bread together and sharing laughter together. Uh, and I think that's, I think it's important. It's important for me, uh, just to be honest, it's, it's important for me. I need this time with you. And so, uh, I pray that you will do whatever you can to be with us on October 23rd for that time of meal. You'll get more information next week because all the people that take crazy plans that the pastor has and start putting it together, they'll have it together by next week and you'll get all the information you need because we have that kind of team, but uh, it, it, I think it's important for us to get together. And uh, it's uh, our quarterly church conference, our ch- quarterly family meeting, uh, but we're not going to do a lot of business. Just to be honest, we're going to have heavy conversations. It's not the time. Um, I, just to be honest, I can't handle it. I mean, just, if I could be gut level honest, I just can't handle it. Uh, so uh, let's, let's get together and uh, let's enjoy our family time. October 23rd. Now, you don't have to wait till then. We can all enjoy this time together right now. I took a lot of time to do that. Uh, but let's uh, open our copy of Scripture. Also, uh, be sure and get one of these blue cards, and I'm asking you to do this for me. Do me the favor. Get one of the blue cards. Write down your prayer request, whatever you want me to pray for. I'm pleading with you. I need to pray for you. It, it is a burden on my heart. I need to pray for you. So please, Take one of these blue cards, put any prayer requests you have on the back or on the front, and put it in the offering box uh, as you leave. Those requests go straight to me. Uh, So please, 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 I'm asking you, do me this favor. I want to pray for you. I need, not not just want, I need to pray for you. So please allow me that privilege and honor to pray for you. All right. Um, Genesis chapter 1. Now, we're talking about God's design. When we're talking about the gospel, uh, we're, we, we begin, the three circles begins with God's design. Uh, you know, God's design. I, I was trying to think how to illustrate this, and I talked with uh, one of my daughters, and, and she had an idea, and then I had an idea, and it shows the difference of generations. All right, so I said to my daughter, it was Maggie, I said, Maggie, how would I, and she works with our kids ministry every week, and and so that's probably what was going on in her brain, but uh, she said, here's how you talk about design. She said, you can get Legos, and I'm like, they had Legos when I was a kid. I know you can get Legos. She said, no, Daddy, you get get a box uh, of Legos that has a design where it actually, you buy this box to build like a, a, a car. Um, or you buy this box, you build a castle. And I looked, I was going to go to Target and get one or ask somebody to get one. And 
And uh, I looked, and they had like this car. You could buy the Lego car for $328. And so I punted and said no. But uh, there, was, there is an Aston Martin at Target uh, for uh, like $20. And I thought about getting that, but I didn't. But anyway, as it goes, you, you get this box and of Legos, and instead of just creating your own design, you follow the design that's in the box, and the result will be this Aston Martin car, fancy car. I thought, that's great. So you follow the design, you get the result that you want. It's the perfect result. It's on the box. And I thought, that's a great, that's a great illustration uh, for that generation. But then I thought about my generation, right? I'm 55, so I'm thinking about, all right, what, what do I know about design? And immediately I began to think about Ikea. <laughs> you know Ikea, right? Ikea is where it's the store down here uh, at, at the premium outlets there or across the way from that. And Ikea is a furniture place and you can get all kinds of things. And you go there and you get this... Uh, you get this piece of furniture that comes in a box that wide, but it's a chest of drawers like that. And you wonder how in the world does this work? But you, you get that box and you come and you open it up and, and they, have, uh, you, they have a design to follow. Sure, it's written in Swedish, but there's a design to follow. And if you follow that design, you get the chest of drawers that you purchased. But if you decide to do it on your own, you get some malformed, broken piece of not furniture. You got to follow the design. At the very beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. The term created in Genesis 1-1 is a term that talks about design. It wasn't just uh, what uh, my granddaughter Nora would do if she's sitting there and she has Play-Doh in front of her. Uh, she just kind of molded into whatever she thinks. No, that's not what created means in Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means that God, with intentional purpose and plan, made everything, heavens and earth. God has designed. And what we see in Genesis 1 all the way to, ver uh, uh, all the way to 26, 27, 28 uh, is that uh, we see God's design in creation. And that's one of the things that we need to hear today. We, we see God's design, his purposeful intent when we look at creation. I, I, I know that... Uh, that all of us love sunrise and sunsets, and uh, some of us are mountain people, some of us are ocean people, some of us are both. Uh, we look at the intricacies of the color palette in a sunrise or a sunset. Guys, that's not an accident. That's God's design. We look at uh, uh, the beauty of the mountains and how God carved out something like the Grand Canyon and, and how, that, how that he established mountain peaks and, and, and how, how the environment works and, and how things operate together. We look at a hummingbee. By all intents and purposes, there's nothing that should make a hummingbee fly and flit around the way it does. But God's design was, we're going to make a hummingbee and it's going to fly and flit around. It's going to be wonderful. 
God's design is seen throughout creation. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. That, that, that's God's design. When we see creation, it's not just what happens on earth. I mean, you look at animals, right? You have these animals that are uh, uh, water breathing animals, right? They get their CO2 and oxygen and everything in water. But if dry season hits, things change and they shift and they get their oxygen from air. Did, I'm, I get, that's crazy. God's design. Yeah, you know, when I was uh, in high school and college, and even uh, when I was getting my master's and my PhD, you had people talk about the Big Bang theory. And by the way, Big Bang is just that theory, right? There is no model of creation that people can say with absolute scientific certainty this is the way it happens, because you have to, you know, prove it. Can't. Right, so uh, people talking about the Big Bang theory and 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 just some, and and it never really made sense to me, and not just because I was religious, but because it just doesn't make sense to me. If I take something uh, like a bag of rocks and I shake it together for a million years, I'm going to get a Swiss watch. That, and I'm not making fun of it, but that's Big Bang theory. It says, Big Bang Theory says that um, chaos produces order, which is a violation of many proven scientific facts and, and, and processes. But regardless, take the Big Bang Theory. I'll go with the Big Bang Theory because I know that even a Big Bang Theory has to have a designer to make the Swiss watch out of gases exploding and rocks colliding together. There has to be a designer. And the Bible tells us that God is the designer. The intricacies of creation are not an accident, but they're the purposeful, creative, beautiful intention of our loving God. We see God's design in creation. And the crowning achievement of God's creative act is human beings, you and me. And this is not a moral statement. This is a, a baseline foundational statement concerning creation. Imagine this. You get creation because you have a, bog, a, a bag of rocks and you shake it together for a million years and you get a Swiss watch. But you got to up the game when it comes to living, breathing human beings. Sentient beings made from uh, a pummeling of gases and matter uh, for uh, however long with this big explosion, and now you are here. Some of you with wrinkles and some of you with hair, some of you without wrinkles and some of you without hair. But you're here. And you can think and you can rationalize and you can reason together. And that's an accident? That's just a, 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 a fateful thing that happened in the world and the universe? No. 
When you look at humanity, you see this is the crowning achievement of God's purposeful, intentional, creative work. And that's where we come to Genesis 1, 26 and following. Genesis chapter 1, beginning verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds there, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, everything that he had made for six days. The sun and the moon separating dark from night, separating waters above from waters below, uh, uh, the, the, the sun, the stars, everything, the birds, the fish, the snakes, the mosquitoes. He looked at mosquitoes. He saw the mosquitoes, and he said, indeed, this is very good. When we look at creation, we see God's purposeful intent. And verse 26 and 27 tell us something about God's purposeful intention for you and me. It says that God made man and woman in his own image and likeness. He didn't make buffalo with his, in his image. He didn't make crocodiles in his image. He didn't make mosquitoes in his image. He didn't, you know, you, I'm, I'm not liking mosquitoes right now, and God's convicted me of it. He didn't make any other of his creation in his image, only men and women. And he made them male and female, no third option or fourth or fifth. I'm not not making a hit. I'm just saying this is the biblical foundation. The reason we have our beliefs on sexuality or uh, gender identification or any of those things, the reason we have those foundational beliefs is because that's God's design. When we start messing with God's design, it's what we're creating, not what God has created. And when we start messing with God's design and trying to define things based upon what we create rather than how God has created, that's when we start messing things up and breaking the Ikea furniture. Okay? Again, I'm not hitting on anybody. I'm just saying this is why we believe what we believe. It's not a political statement. And if you make it a political statement, anathema on you, and you can go look that up. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical, theological, foundational statement that we believe. And we believed it before there was a United States of America. And we believed it long before there was George Washington or uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon or uh, 
any of the other more popular cat daddies that you like today. This has been the foundational belief of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. Okay? He made them male and female, and he made us in his image. Now, what does that mean, being made in the image of God? It means that we were made with a capacity to know God, to have fellowship with him. And that's what God's design teaches us. God's design teaches us that we were made by God to have fellowship with God. And that's every person. Every person here, every person you know, every person that's ever been born was made in the image of God. Whether they like God or hate God, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God, every person was made in the image of God for the purpose of having relationship with God. God made man and woman to walk with him and to worship him. That is God's design. When we talk with people in our neighborhood or talk to people at our work, or when we're talking to people and trying to help them understand why I believe what I believe and why it's changed my life, We begin with this idea of God's design. God has designed life for every human being in a particular way. And ultimately, God designed you to have a friendship and a fellowship with himself. Okay? So why would we want a fellowship with God, friendship with God? Well, because that's his design, and God's design is perfect. God's design is perfect. Not your design. Not my design. Not American cultural elite's design. Not the Republican Party's design or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian or any points in between. It is only God's design that is perfect. All right. That's what the Bible says. Just one verse, Psalm 18, verse 30. The law of the, uh, that all the ways of God are perfect. Oh Lord, all your ways are perfect. That means that there's nothing incomplete in them, they're whole. And way there is design. It's what God purposed, it's what God planned, it's what God's created. Everything that God does is perfect. His design is perfect. Well, we were uh, uh, cleaning stuff up around the house this past weekend, and um, uh, I, I was raised in a house full of boys. My, I have three brothers, no sisters. And my older brother and I, Brett and I, we learned... Uh, how to do things not completely. You know what I'm talking about? We had to vacuum our room every Friday or Saturday or something. And we learned how to vacuum not completely. Probably took us longer to vacuum not completely 
than it would have taken us to vacuum completely. But we were rebellious in that way. And so uh, growing up, I learned how to uh, take shortcuts. And it shaped the way I view certain things when it comes to cleaning. And so I was uh, pressure washing outside. And as I'm pressure washing outside, if I see what's happening with the pressure washing, and I look through my eyes, I, I pressure wash it, and I say, that's good enough. Even though there's still stains over here, and even though there's still some uh, greenish-looking stuff over here, it's good enough. I, I w- washed it with the pressure washer, Right? And if I look at that work through my eyes, that's what I see. It's good enough. But it's not very good. Okay? Not very good. So I learned that I needed a different set of eyes when it came to, like, pressure washing. And the best eyes in our house (laughs) belong to my wife. Because she sees with clarity. And she, she sees um, the things that need to be um, uh, fixed. She sees through eyes that care deeply about the end result. That was my problem. I just didn't care deeply about the end result. But she does. And so I learned, and I'm continuing to learn, I learned that the best way for me to pressure wash or clean baseboards or mop a kitchen is not to look through my eyes, but to look through Edie's eyes. And if I do cleaning that way, the end result will be very good. We... Ladies, if you want that recorded and you want to come back to that, it's all digital. You can download any clips. Uh, But that's true. I'm being as honest as I know to be, right? It's just true. And I know it doesn't work like that in every home, but for me, I need that. I've talked about this before. But here's what happens in life. What happens in life is we, all of us, We start looking at life through our eyes. And so we try to design our life according to how we feel or according to what we think or what we think will be best. We're looking for good enough. The end result is not even close to good enough. The end result, when we start shaping our life, looking at our life through the lens of our eyes and shaping life according to our own design, we end up broken, not whole. And what this passage is trying to help us see is that we need to start looking at our life Not through our eyes, but through God's eyes. How he has created life in a particular way, according to his perfect design, so that we might taste blessing. 
And by the way, you might wonder, well, how do I follow this? What's the instruction manual? You know, if Ikea has this uh, design template that you're to follow, what's the design template and, uh, according to God's design? How I'm supposed to live out the image of God in my family, at home, at work, and in my playtime? How am I supposed to live my life? What's the template? What's, what's the uh, instruction manual for God's design? It's God's Word which is also perfect. Psalm chapter 19, again, Psalm chapter 19, I referenced verse 1 a few moments ago. Listen to verses 7 and following. So where Psalm 1830 says, uh, as for God, his way is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, opening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More than to be desired are they than gold, much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by the commands, the instructions, the statutes, the the law of the Lord, by them... Your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. What what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 19, he's saying, absolutely, the design of God is perfect. The ways of God are perfect. And the way we know how to walk in those ways is by the perfect word of God. Here's where we get mixed up. We get mixed up in thinking that culture defines how we're supposed to live. We get mixed up in thinking my emotions define how I'm supposed to live, defines my design. We get mixed up when we think, um, uh, when we start thinking my friends, my peers, uh, they're the ones who define the design of my life. No, God defines the design of life that leads to blessing. And we understand God's design when we obey God's word. When we're talking to people who are far from God or don't know God, don't care about God, and we start talking about God's design, I guarantee you in today's climate, they're going to say, yeah, but you're one of those people that believe homosexuality is a sin. Or you're one of those people, you don't believe in pronouns. Y'all know what I mean when I say pronouns, right? Okay. Um, you're, one of those, you're one of those fundamentalist fascists. And the reason they say that is because I hold to a biblical way of life that is ordered by a document that is millennia old, and a tradition that is millennia old. And I don't compromise what I find here in God's Word to fit the cultural drift or waves that we have today. Therefore, I am an unbending kind of person. And I get that. 
But my goal is not to win an argument with somebody who believes differently than I do. My goal is to help them understand a little bit more about why I believe what I believe and what has changed my life. I think everybody at core is looking for design. They don't want chaos. Everybody at core is looking for relationship with creator. They just haven't found it yet. Every person has tried to establish their own design. You have too. You tried to establish your own design. And it left you broken. Just it left me broken. And so when we're talking with people who are broken, we don't take a sledgehammer and try to hammer it out of them. But with compassion and grace, we talk to them about why we have a different opinion. And the difference it makes for us. And when it is all said and done, when we live by God's design, we walk in a place of blessing. And that's what we want. The kind of life that is filled with satisfaction and contentment, purpose, and joy. We want blessing. Everybody wants blessing, but the problem is we're trying to get blessing by doing life our way. But the only way we're going to get blessing is when we do life God's way, when we follow His design. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, last verse I'll read. Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, verse, verses uh, 28 and following. Uh, I think that's right. 26 through 28. Moses says to the children of Israel, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a cursing. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. The cursing, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. There's blessing and there's cursing. This is God's design. God's design is... We are blessed when we live according to God's design, when we walk with God in obedience to Him and worship Him as God. There is cursing, the exact opposite of blessing. There is cursing when we refuse to obey the commandments of God. When we refuse to walk with God and worship Him. So, as we share the gospel with others, we're sharing the gospel with people just like we were once. Broken, irreparably shattered by following not God's design. So when we're talking with people especially the people who have, I mean, just passionate, disagreeing philosophy. We share with compassion because they're broken. We don't share in anger because we're offended. There's an old adage that I want you to hear, and it's so important. You'll hear it more as we uh, go through this. An immature follower of Jesus, an immature believer, is easy to offend and hard to please. If you're an immature follower of Jesus, 
and somebody says something that is contrary to your conviction and you get offended, you need to grow up. An immature follower of Jesus is easy to offend and also hard to please. A mature follower of Jesus is hard to offend and pretty easy to please. It's not complex. My challenge for all of us is to put on our big boy and big girl pants and be mature believers especially when we're sharing our faith. This is not a debate between political rivals. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change that person's life. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? I want us not to be known as warriors in the wild-eyed, fanatical, crazy kind of... I mean, I'm a fanatic. Y'all... In any measure in today's culture, I'm a fanatic, right? I mean, I am. I'm just a fanatic um, and by any measure. But I don't want to come off as a wild-eyed, crazy fanatic. I want you to be able to understand the reason why I have these fanatical views in today's culture. So we share with a heart to lead people to Jesus, not away from him. Next week, we're going to be talking about what we've all been guilty of, and that is living life by our design rather than God's design. And we're going to, we're going to address that topic called sin, and we're going to address that issue called brokenness. And when we're talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ, how it can save a life, forgive sin. Really what we're saying is there is a perfect way that God designed. We're not in it because we have sinned and we are broken and we need to be made whole. That's the journey we're taking them on. Three circles. Today we've looked at God's design. My prayer for us is that as we leave here today, all of us who are followers of Jesus, who have been rescued by God's grace, we would focus in again that the reason I've been rescued from my brokenness is not because of effort of my own, but the reason I've been rescued from my brokenness is because Jesus left heaven's throne, was born in a manger in a stable, lived his life without blemish or fault, died for my sin in my place, paying the debt of sin that I owed and was raised from the dead so that through faith and repentance I can be rescued. Amen. As we close today, my prayer for you and for me is that we would worship Jesus who paid it all on our behalf. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we're praying, would you commit to pray every day this week at 1 o'clock? Oh, God. Give me an opportunity to tell someone about your design. Give me an opportunity to tell someone about your design.
one o'clock, for one minute, pray this one thing. Oh God, give me an opportunity this week to tell someone about your design. Now, Father, as we have looked at your word, as we've considered the truths of your word, I pray that you would begin to shape in us the words that we need to say to talk about your design. To share simply that you, O God, created everything. And you created it with a purpose and with a beauty. That even the heavens declare your glory. And the firmament praises your name. That we would share simply that when we, as people created by God, live by your design, we're walking in an environment where we can experience blessing. God, I pray that these words might begin to shape and form the conversations that you're going to lead us to have this week. And as we, as we end this time of worship together, I pray that we would set our gaze upon the cross of Jesus Christ and upon our Savior who died there to give us forgiveness and new life. May we, your people, Praise the name of Jesus who paid it all so that we might live. And it's in this matchless, majestic, and mighty name we pray.